After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the by the Magi, he was furious, and he ordered to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then, he, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her ch children, and refusing to be comforted, because they were no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been given... Having been warned in a, in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Right. Good morning, everybody. It's uh, great to see you here, and if I can just extend my own warm welcome to all of you, and especially to the visitors this morning. But I do want to give a little bit of a shout-out on the, on the live stream. So there's a couple out there somewhere. Their names are Chris and Monica in Wagen. Uh, I think they're in Wagendale. It's out there somewhere, right? And um, 
Anyway, good morning to you guys out there as well. I think it's in WA. Um, <laughs> Matthew 1 is where you need to be. Ah, kidding, kidding, kidding. Right, Matthew 1. Uh, Matthew 2, should I say. It's, uh, it's open up. And let me just pray briefly. Father, I pray this morning that, that now, again, through your word, you would bring us, not to the word itself, but to your Son, that we may bow before him and adore him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Make that which is familiar, make it fresh, that which we know so well, may, may it come with power as we hear you speaking to us about your Son, in whom you glory, in whom we adore. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there's a, a title for you that will become, become clear why I've picked that title as we go through this particular message. And I'm going to tackle the whole of Matthew chapter 2. Now, I'm going to put a diagram up. Hopefully, there it is. Now, if, if you had to ask someone, keep looking at the diagram, if you had to ask someone to tell you about the various parts of the Christmas narrative, tell you the bits and pieces of the Christian story, by and large, they would tell you about the bits and pieces on there. So shout them out. Like, what are the familiar bits and pieces of the Christmas narrative? And pick them from there. What, shout it out. Hmm? There, there's a baby. There's a stable. Someone says a stable. Yeah, okay. House stable, okay. Uh, shepherds, yeah, what else is there? Huh? Star, big star there somewhere, yep. What else? Cradle, manger, what was that over here? Three kings, yeah. Or magi, or hey, there's even camels in there, if you like those. Donkeys, Mary, okay, you, you got the drift, right? You're all familiar with those bits and pieces, aren't you? But rarely will you find people mentioning the sufferings around the birth of Christ. If you've got your Bible open, take a look at them. People will very rarely mention chapter 2, verse 12, that Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Or mentioning chapter 2, verse 13, where, where the angel tells Mary and Joseph to go on the run, to become something of fugitives. Very rarely will people mention chapter 2, verse 16, where Herod then goes on the rampage to have all the babies murdered in the vicinity of Bethlehem. When people talk about the Christmas story, very rarely will they mention chapter 2, verse 18, that, that, that the Jewish mothers in the line of Rachel are weeping over the death of their murdered children. Very rarely is it mentioned that after returning from Egypt, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus then go and have to hide out again this time in Nazareth. And these, these features, they really don't fit with cattle lowing, baby awaking, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, asleep on the hay. You know how much I love that carol. But what I want you to see this morning is, is, is the birth of Jesus Christ 
from the line of David in Matthew 1, the whole birth is, is, is hedged in distress and danger. And I want us to take a few minutes this morning on this Christmas Eve to really ponder some of those distressing and dangerous details that surround the very birth of our Lord. And hence, my title, A Dawning of Tears. The birth and the early life of Jesus was a dawning of tears. Jesus Christ was birthed in tears. His own tears as a baby, the tears of his mother, the tears of his father, the tears of Rachel, representative of Jewish mothers. Jesus would later weep over Jerusalem. Jesus would weep at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept in the Garden of Gethsemane. While Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha, it says this, Luke 23, 27, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. The tears of so many that, that would watch Messiah die on a cross. And then Jesus responds by saying this in verse 28, Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus would one day weep on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does it really matter how many wise men came? No, it wasn't three. Where exactly they came from? How long did it take them? How exactly the star got them over the house? It's not the point. Matthew would... Would, would not have us miss the danger and distress of the most important birth in the history of the world. And so as the Magi come, as they arrive at the house sometime after the birth of Jesus, here's the very first thing that Matthew is trying to get through to us. The King of Kings has been born. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. With the arrival of pagan, idolatrous, star-gazing astrologers from the east who have come to worship a Jewish Davidic king, we are being alerted by Matthew that the whole world order has changed. You and I know something of the seismic changes that take place when the tectonic plates of the earth shift and move. The birth of Jesus is the bringing of a seismic cosmic shift to the world order. Verse 2, again we have seen his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. We've come to give our allegiance to him, say the Magi. We've come to give him all the homage that he deserves as king of kings. Eastern Magi coming to worship a Jewish king signifies that the king of kings has been born. In the words of Haggai, the desire of the nations has come. 
And this king, he's going to supplant all other kings. He will dethrone all other kings. And it is to this king every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of lords. When God's king enters the cradle, the stage is set for the most monumental upheaval and dismantling of all kings, all powers, and all authorities. And I suppose it's little wonder, let me just see if I've got it on verse 3. Little wonder as you look at chapter 2, verse 3, that it says, when King Herod all this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Disturbed is a slightly mild word. Decidedly shaken might be better. A little bit like the Babylonian king Belshazzar in Daniel when he saw the writing on the wall by some supernatural fingers. Do you remember that? Let me just remind you. Daniel 5 verse 5. Suddenly, this is back in the Old Testament in Daniel. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And you might remember the message of the fingers to King Belshazzar. Do you remember the message? You have been weighed in the scales. You've been found wanting. Your time is? Your time's up. With the birth of King Jesus... Every king has been found wanting. They've been weighed in the scales. Their time is up. The one to whom the throne belongs has come. But notice in chapter 2, verse 3, it, it says that Herod was disturbed along with all of Jerusalem. Herod liked the powerful status quo. But remarkably, the Pharisees were like that as well. Herod had given the Pharisees a lot of power, and they had sort of settled into this powerful status quo. But the birth of Christ shakes the world order. His birth rocks the boat of both king and country. This birth is going to shake out the religious apathy, the political apathy. I wonder if you remember these words from Simeon when he met Mary, Joseph, and Jesus then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Herod and the political leaders or the religious leaders, they were all shook up. And the demons were about to get a pretty good shake up as well. You remember Matthew chapter 4, Satan is all stirred up and he goes after Jesus. You remember how the demons again and again, when they came into the presence of Christ, they shrieked and they freaked out. They were all shook up as they were to submit to his every word. God's king is here. All powers and authorities are on notice. <laughs> Seen and unseen, they will submit to Jesus Christ, who is king of kings. He is Lord of Lords. Herod, this Herod in this passage, the Roman king, he was a, he was a piece of work. Uh, he was really someone you didn't want to get on the wrong side of. Earlier this year, my, uh, one of my cars was stolen, and uh, I therefore had to deal with the police. 
And when the police came to the house, it was quite scary. I mean, the police, like six and a half foot tall. I think the other one was seven foot. They were scary characters. Anyway, police came into the house. When they told me who the character was that had stolen my car and what sort of record the person had and the violent nature and the assaults and everything that the person had done, it sent like shivers going down my spine. Herod was such a man. He had performed every trick in the book to get into power and hold on to it. He had all sorts of friends in high places like Mark Antony, who was one of his best mates. Herod had been in power for about 30 years by the time that Christ was born. Racially Arab, culturally Greek, politically Roman, religiously Jewish. To keep himself in power, he murdered one of his wives, her two sons, her grandfather and mother, killed his firstborn so that the firstborn didn't grow up and take his throne. As Caesar Augustus once said, it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than be one of his sons. But what's happening here in Matthew chapter 2 with the birth of King Jesus, the words of Psalm 2 are being fulfilled, aren't they? Psalm 2 says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with the rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. It's not exactly how King Herod responded to the birth of the King of Kings, did he? So in verse 6, if you've got your Bible, take a look. He finds out where the, the prophet said the king would be born. He calls in the Magi secretly to find out the exact time the star had appeared. He basically says to the Magi, go and be my snitch. But he's not going to worship the king. He's going to try and, he's going to try and kill him. But I guess... What Herod did to stay in power shouldn't surprise us that he goes after the king of kings to kill him. The king of kings has been born. Secondly, the king of kings, though, is a suffering king. See, this king of kings is unlike any other king you will ever know. I want you to watch again how the whole narrative is etched in suffering. Follow with me. 2.12 And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Notice that not only is Jesus in grave danger, but the Magi as well. If the Magi had gone back to King Herod, they most probably would have been killed as well. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The spirit-filled, royal-blooded son of David is in deathly danger at the start of his life. And this becomes a mere curtain raiser for the suffering that lies ahead. And so it continues into verse 14. He got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they fugitives on the run. 
just a taste of what lies ahead when Jesus said in Matthew 8.20, Well, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has got no place to lay his head. Maybe you're a movie buff and you've heard of the born identity. This is the suffering identity. And the distress and danger around the birth and the early life of Christ just continues as we go into verse 16 because when Herod realized he was outwitted, he's furious, he gives orders that all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who are two years old and under, that they be killed. The birth of Christ puts his life the life of his parents, and the lives of other children in danger. Which is why we go into 2.17, because this was what was said through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. What Matthew is doing here is quoting Jeremiah 31, where... The mothers in Israel, they wept when their sons were taken into exile in Babylon in a place called Ramah. The mothers of Israel, they are weeping again. And the distress and the danger is still not over. Even after Herod died, another angel appears to Joseph in Egypt and says, Get up, take the child, go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. He got up, took the child, his mother. They went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. You see it? Again, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, they're fugitives on the run. Something of a refugee status. Nowhere to call home. It's a little wonder that the refugee, the outcast, the marginalized, the orphan, the oppressed, the abused, the homeless, the captive, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Little wonder they were all drawn to Jesus, weren't they? But Jesus being born and living under the threat of death was preparation for the life of suffering that would ultimately take him to death on a cross. You see, this king is unlike King Herod, isn't he? King Herod is the tyrannical despot trying to to hold on to power by killing people. But Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We all remember the last Passover, don't we? We all remember the time that Jesus took bread and he broke it and gave his disciples, this is my blood, and carried on. But there's a little detail in Luke that we often miss. Jesus is at the table with his disciples. It's the last Passover. 
And he says to them at the table, for who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. This is the King of Kings. This is the King of Kings who is the suffering King who lays down his life so that you may be saved from the wages of your sin, which is death. King of kings has been born. The king of kings is the suffering servant or the suffering king. The king of kings is the suffering king as God promised. Got your Bible? I'll show you on the screen. I want you to look back over the narrative with me for a moment. I want you to notice three important things. In 2.6, notice that Herod asks where the Christ, the Messiah, will be born. And the, the religious guys will say, oh, the prophet said it was where? In, in Bethlehem. Just as the prophet Micah said it would be 750 years before. The prophet said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and he, and he was, just as God promised it would be. Have a look at uh, halfway through verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus going into Egypt, then coming out of Egypt, fulfills the exodus of Israel. And so Jesus coming out of Egypt actually points to a new Moses who's bringing a new exodus, delivering God's people from the bondage and slavery of sin, just as God promised it would be hundreds of years before in the prophet Hosea. And then if you go down to verse 23, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, and so was fulfilled what was said to the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, we actually don't have this prophecy. We don't know actually where it is. Well, it's not in the Old Testament. Actually, it was an oral prophecy. But the prophets said that he would live in the region of Galilee in a town called Nazareth. He would be called a Nazarene, and that's exactly what happened, just as God said it would Now, Matthew's point is clear. Nothing about this dangerous birth and nothing about the suffering life of Christ was an accident. It was promised and planned as God said it would be. For God so loved the world that he sent his suffering king into it that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Nothing was left to chance. Nothing. And did you notice how God over and over and over and over protected His Son? Protected His Son from those who wanted to kill Him so that Jesus would fulfill the destiny for which He came. Nothing. Nothing. Not even the great Herod himself could stop Jesus from fulfilling the destiny 
of the suffering king who would save his people from their sins. And then he would return to the Father to assume the throne of David as king of kings. How do we respond? How do we respond to the king of kings who is the suffering king as God promised it would be. The first one, the first response is humble worship. I want to ask you this morning, have you, like the Magi, have you bowed your heart in adoration to the King of Kings? We're not called to come and worship a baby in a manger pouring out gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, whatever it was. We are called to come and worship the risen, suffering king who has now been exalted to the highest place. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to sing it in just a moment, but oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us. Oh, come let us. Who? Christ the suffering This Christmas, maybe for the first time, this Christmas, bow the knee of your heart in humble worship to the King, repenting, adoring, praising the King of Kings who sets you free. The second response is hope in suffering. Matthew wants us to see that if the birth of Christ is a birth into suffering that culminates at the death of the cross, then he wants us to see that it's in suffering that God works His greatest work. The greatest suffering of Jesus was at the cross and His greatest redemption of His people was from their slavery and punishment of sin. Suffering is therefore not the absence of God's work. Suffering doesn't go against God's work. Suffering can't stop God's work. It is suffering that accomplishes God's work. The greatest work of redemption is done through the greatest suffering of Messiah and brothers and sisters, that's why God's greatest work in our lives is often accomplished through what? Through suffering. Now, I'm not going to stand here this morning and tell you that I find that easy to accept and believe all the time. To somehow accept and believe that God is doing His greatest work of redeeming me through ongoing suffering in order to bring about the conformity to Christ, I find it hard. 
But the suffering of Jesus also brought the hope of resurrection. Do you know why Jesus endured his suffering? Because he knew what was at the end. The hope of resurrection. That he'd be raised in glory one day. And that hope is our hope for all who would confess with their mouth that Jesus is king and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. They too will be raised from the dead. The hope in suffering of Christ is our hope for those that believe in Him. Because our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Is that your hope this morning? Do you have the hope of resurrection? Understanding something that's through suffering, that God's doing His greatest work in you to bring you into conformity with Christ. And at the end down there somewhere, the hope of resurrection awaits. And here's the third response, I think. The prophet said he'd be born in Bethlehem, and, and he was. The prophet said he would go into Egypt, come out of Egypt, and he did. The prophet said he would live in Galilee and Nazareth and become a Nazarene, and you can trust him. I was to tell you, watching Mark, my son, this morning, he's a lousy promise keeper, isn't he? Absolute rubbish. A huckster, a conster. Although I did help him glue the coins, so I'm part of the plan. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every promise promise that comes from the mouth of God. So, if God promises that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, what will happen? You'll be saved. For all who call on the name of the Lord, I promise I will save you. Call on Him. Call on Him. He'll save you. That's what He promised to do. If God has promised that He's always with His people, if God has promised that He will never leave His people, if God has promised He will never separate His love from His people, then what will He do? He'll never leave us, never forsake us, never abandon us, never take away His love from us. If God has promised that He will always provide for His people, what will He do? What will He do? He will provide. He will. I promise you, He will. His name is not Mark. Sorry, Mark. Oh, I've got you in my head now, mate. Sorry. 
If God has promised His people that one day He will present you faultless before the throne in glory, what will He do? He'll present you faultless before the throne. If God has promised to complete the work He started in you, what will He do? He'll bail out halfway, right? He will finish the job. Can we trust Him? A dawn of tears, as I close. The birth was the beginning, not the not the end. The birth was the beginning, not the end. And we've sometimes got to see what? We've got to see the end. And there were tears at the beginning and there were. Do you know there's going to be tears at the end as well? Did you know that? Can I show them to you? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the first, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are what? Can you believe them? Can you believe them? Do you think Jesus wept tears at the resurrection? We're not told, are we? But when he was raised from the dead, do you think he wept tears of joy? We will, we will weep tears of joy. When he brings us to glory, just as he promised it would. It's a dawn of tears. Come, let us adore him, both now and forever. Gathering team, won't you join me up?